Mark Altman, great to be here with you. And I have to tell everybody, our listeners here, it's not often on the show we have a guru, but we have a guru. She's shaking her head no because she's humble, but I but I, I just have to call it out that we have a special guest today, Susan McConnell, who is an absolute LinkedIn guru in every way, shape, and form. She is the host of a podcast called Dangerous Conversations, a very popular podcast on LinkedIn. She has been in sales for 26 years. And Susan, first off, welcome to the show. We're thrilled to have you. Mark, welcome. This is awesome. Yes. And you know what? I'm not a guru. I'm just a normal person that can succeed on LinkedIn. That's what I say. Look at the humility. We love right? humility and leadership. Okay. <laughs> so Susan, I, I've got to start with you know an obvious question for me. You know, you you have a really diverse set of skills in sales, um, you know, from lead generation to performance improvement, et cetera. But you know, you really have an expertise specifically in LinkedIn. And I'm wondering, as your career has evolved, how did that come about? Why take such an interest specifically in LinkedIn? Well, and, you have, and you have an e-course too, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. But yes, please, definitely. go ahead. And we'll talk about why. Um, well, when I think about LinkedIn, I've been on LinkedIn for quite some time, since about 2009. And I originally, it was the hunting tool. Um, I'm a biz dev person. I'm an appointment setter by heart and nature but have evolved in sales over the years. But LinkedIn back then was free and you could do anything you wanted and you could find anybody you wanted and people talked. But as we move along in sales, sales is a strategy, it's a process, uh, and LinkedIn is a piece of that process. And I've been always using it for many, many years, connecting with people, building my referral networks. And then COVID hit and I started doing LinkedIn trainings on Mm. Eventbrite and Meetup. And I was on a training once and a Dell service person called me afterwards and said, what you taught in an hour blew my brains out and can you create a course around this and come teach us? And I said, whoa, that's interesting. It's interesting that I know the ins and the outs of LinkedIn and I stay on top of the new features so that I know how to make it work for myself, but yet I can teach other people to help it work for them because it's, it's not cookie cutter, it's different, it's custom for everybody. Yeah. And you know, Susan, I feel like when I do sales training for companies and then I'll ask as part of my onboarding and discovery process, I'll ask, you know, how, how much are you leveraging LinkedIn? How much is your sales team? And often I feel like that's a real blind spot and um, a gap, you know, in the strategy, as you alluded to before. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm really big in when we're trying to get people to change behaviors, I'm really big on understanding the barriers to changing those behaviors. So what is it why is LinkedIn so underutilized for salespeople and frankly, even business owners? You know, why, why is it so underutilized in your mind? I think there's several reasons. The first is people think that it's a, a, a time waster because if you make it a time waster, it will be a time waster mm. and they have no strategy around it. If you have a strategy around it, it can be a very effective tool. And the second is people think that they have to be a guru. They think they have to have, you know, 30,000, 40,000 connections to be successful on LinkedIn. And I have about 7,000, and I'm effective on it. And I've taken clients from 200 connections to 1,000, 
and they're successful on it. So you do not have to be a guru. And also, a lot of people think that you have to be a marketer or a content creator to be effective on LinkedIn. Yeah, you have to do a little bit of it, and you have to engage, but you don't have to be a marketing person to be successful on LinkedIn. There's many other ways and other strategies. And I think those are the main reasons. There's probably a few more. Yeah, I think you captured the spirit of the challenge. And I guess, Susan, you know, for me, one of the things I notice on LinkedIn, when I'm, when I'm considering networking or connecting with someone, one of the things I, I look at is how many connections do they have and how often are they posting? So I mm-hmm. guess for you, my question is, those are two kind of criteria I use to vet. Are those the two right criteria? And are there additional criteria that you kind of look at to see how someone, if someone is utilizing LinkedIn to its fullest? You know, again, I said that it's, it's custom. It's a function of why you want to connect with that person. It's, it's about who your target audience is. It's not really, if you're building, like if you're someone with not a lot of connections, I do teach that find somebody with a lot of connections and connect with them because the number of first connections you have determines the number of second connections you have. And that in the LinkedIn algorithm shows when you're, you're posting and things like that, more people will be open to your network. But that being said, you don't have to connect with people that have a lot of connections. You have to connect with people that you want to have a relationship with. Mm. We talk about emotional intelligence, and it's not about throwing 100 connections on the wall and having, you know, three or four come to you. It's about finding the three or four and doing it in smaller numbers. And it's a function of, it's different for everybody. That's the the key. Yeah, that makes sense. So... So I want to start, if you're, if you're listening to the show and you're thinking to yourself right now, which I bet a lot of people are, yeah, I know, I've been thinking about using LinkedIn more. It's like, okay, here comes Susan talking about it. So Susan, what are two things, like right out of the gate, if you're, you've been pondering on developing a strategy on LinkedIn and utilizing it, leveraging more, give us a couple of things, simple starting points that people should be looking at right away. Absolutely. The first and the most important thing is your profile. You are 40 times more likely to be found in a LinkedIn search and a Google search when your LinkedIn profile is filled out correctly and all of the sections filled out. There's keywords. And it's also, if you think about it, it's now your office with you know, what's happened in the last few years, many people don't have an office anymore. So when they're going to meet with someone, what do they do? They Google you. And when they Google you, your LinkedIn profile comes up first. And if they open up that profile and they don't see enough information there and they see that it's all about you and not anything that you can help them with, that may change the relationship and it may change your meeting. So you got to get to your profile and you got to update it and you got to make it so that it attracts who you want to attract. So Susan, as far as the profile goes, there's obviously many pieces to the profile. So what would you say, you know, because I'm about helping people shift from a daunting to a doing mindset. So where do I start? Is it the summary? Is it testimonials? Like where are the first two or three places I should make a dent in? Well, when I think about this, and as I see people on LinkedIn, the first thing is have a professional profile picture. I don't want to see you with a red cup. I don't want to see you with your children. This is a professional (laughs) network. And you should, again, there are a lot of people coming to LinkedIn that are, you know, they're different trades and like professional services now. And then also I see trainers 
athletic trainers. I see nutritionists. So they're different, and they'd have to have a different approach to their profile pic. But for most people, professional picture and the banner photo, if it's a gray banner photo, that you have less than a second visually for someone to be attracted or repelled by your profile. And so if the pictures aren't there, they're going to probably – Unless they're specifically looking for you, they're probably going to just go to the next profile. So ironically, I have a couple of thoughts on what you say. You know, what I hear you talking about is first impressions, right? Like the first thing people see, your picture and your banner photo, right? So your point is, hey, right out of the gate, make sure that the first impression you're making is not only a good first impression, but is a meaningful first impression to your point. And, you know, Susan, it's funny. I think a lot about... When I see a LinkedIn photo that doesn't look professional, it's so easy to be judgmental and critical, right? Like, how do you how do you not know you're supposed to have a professional picture? But I have to remind everybody, you know, I, I'm in the business of teaching people to shift from a judgmental and critical mindset to a curious and empathetic mindset. Yep. And so I don't look at it as, you know, someone's ignorant. They just might not have ever had anybody mentor them or teach them, right? Well, yeah, just knowing that in the in this day and age, if you're meeting with someone, people check you out first. Just knowing that fact might at least give you the incentive to put a profile picture there. So Susan, let's let's shift gears for a moment. We'll come back to the profile, but here's my question to you. Let's pretend, let's use someone in wealth management or the financial space, okay, mm-hmm. for the sake of argument. Mm-hmm. You're talking to them in a conversation. And they say to you, all right, Susan, you're right. I'm not really doing anything on LinkedIn right now, but I'm willing to commit an hour a week to LinkedIn. And forget the profile, like just the content, whatever, like visibility, content, so on and so forth. Where do I start? Like two-part question, where do I start? And the second part, which is a more comprehensive question is, how do you help someone develop a strategy? Because most people don't have a strategy. It's spray and pray, essentially. Yep, exactly. Yeah, so the strategy for a financial planner is one is you know you target people. So you want to do some search in there. And then in that search, you're going to, you know, boil down to who your target is. And you want to say, I'm going to do, LinkedIn only allows you 100 connection requests a week now. So if your goal is to try to connect with 100 people, not everybody's going to connect with you, obviously. You want to say, hey, I'm going to do 10 connection requests a day. There's strategy number one. Strategy number two is that every time you like and comment on someone's post that's in your target audience, they get a notification. So here we are with another touch. They're going to see that you liked and commented on their post. And when you think of most of the posts on LinkedIn, most of the people posting do not get a lot of comments. You get noticed. So I have a couple of thoughts on that, actually. And I want to build on what you're saying. Um, Not only because there aren't a lot of comments do you get noticed, but you often can find target audience people that are commenting on that post. And by replying to their comment, exactly. it's a, it's such a soft way to get in a conversation with someone without being salesy, right? Yeah. it's I call that warm connecting and I teach that as well. So I teach it as you go to uh, an influencer, let's just say Tony Robbins. Tony Robbins has 7 million followers. So Seven million people, well, probably not all seven million, but a bunch of people will go to his high-level posts and make comments. So 
if you make a comment on his comments, people can also like your comments. And those people that like your comments are people you have the right to connect with. Yeah, and Susan, we're, we're about to go on a first break, but I just want to say two things before we head into break. One, I love your point because there are times when I will comment with someone and I'll then send them a LinkedIn request to say, hey, I loved your comment on such and such. I don't need anything from them, right? It's just, I loved your comment. I loved your insight on such and such. So it's a great point. And when we come back from our first break, we're going to talk about what I think is the ultimate barrier to LinkedIn participation for so many people. So I'm going to whet your appetite with that tease. And for Susan McConnell, I'm Mark Altman. We'll be back after the break. Okay, welcome back to iCommunicate. Uh, here with Susan McConnell, the she won't let me call her a guru, so I'm just gonna <laughs> I'm just gonna say a, a LinkedIn expert and really a sales expert in general. And we were talking in the first segment a little bit about, uh, you know, what how you could have a strategy around LinkedIn. And during the break, Susan and I were talking about so many people overthink this. You know, they make it harder than it needs to be. You know, one of the one of the things you can do on LinkedIn for visibility and remember everybody. Part of the strategy on LinkedIn is to stay on top of mind with people, right? I'm a trainer, I'm a coach, I'm a speaker. So every time I do a post, I'm hoping that sometime during the year when someone's looking for a trainer or coach and speaker and they see a post, they're like, oh, that Mark Altman, right, we could use him. You know, so this, this staying on top of mind is important. And the thing Susan and I were talking about from a visibility perspective is that you don't always have to create your own content. You can use someone else's content, share that, and say why it's meaningful to you and say why it you you were prompted to want to share this to your network and why you think it will add value to people. So with that said, I promised going into the break I would share what I think is the ultimate barrier, and that is assertiveness. And I can't say enough. People tell me, you know, when, Mark, when you think about communication – what is the skill in communication that most people struggle with? And it's assertiveness. So if I've got, Susan, and here's my question to you, and I want to start with this. If I've got, I'm going to make it up. Let's say I have 1,000 connections. Um, first question for you is, how do you break up those connections? Because, you know, I always joke around with people. I call it, I call it uh, the green, yellow, red effect, okay? And in my world... I call the green people. This I'm interested to know your take on this, Susan, because you and I have never talked about this before. The green people of my connections are people that I talk with on somewhat of a regular basis. You know, we maybe over the last year we've talked, you know, three, four, five times over the last year. So they're they're hot, right? They're people that genuinely are connected with me. The yellow people are people who I maybe don't talk with that much but they have a fond recollection of some kind of experience with me, and they'd be happy to hear from me, even though we don't talk a lot. Mm-hmm. And the red people, and I always laugh when I say this, Susan, the red people are like, why the hell did I connect with those people? So, so I break it up that way, and I, and I think, Susan, my long-winded point here is that I think when people are crafting messages, A, they don't really break it up in segments like that because your messaging to the green, yellows, and reds are going to be different. And B, people, so many people struggle to write emails that capture attention and add value. So I know that's a whole lot to unpack there, but just want to talk about the assertiveness first and then the writing aspect second. 
Definitely. So assertiveness, yes, you need to be assertive. You don't want to connect with someone and just say, thank you for connecting with me. Mm. You and I have the same philosophy about emotional intelligence, and that's what I teach in the message. It's not about you. It's about them. Mm. So whether they're somebody you want to get to know or they're in your network, it's you want to ask questions about them. If you ask them questions about them, they are 90 times more likely to answer you back. Yeah, so I want to ask you a follow-up question about that. So, Susan, if I had a nickel for every time I got a LinkedIn message or an email that said, hey, are you interested in blank, blank, blank? We do this, 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 and this. And it's exactly what you're talking about. I've seen your messaging. It's so simple and succinct. You know, it's just asking a question or two to engage them and keep a get a conversation going and keep a conversation going, right? Yes. Yeah, it's the truth. Um I call it reverse emotional intelligence and also psychographics. It's understanding who you're talking to and what you want to ask them. If you're in the message area, they've connected with you. So you have the right to have a relationship. And you're not going to have a relationship if you think you're going to tell them, I'm going to 10x your sales and I'm going to grow this, that. You haven't earned that right. You haven't earned the credibility. You need to ask them about themselves. One of the most often used questions that I ask and I noticed this on LinkedIn, and I don't know if it's a trend, but a lot of people have more than one company listed in their experience section. And my most returned question answer is, gee, Mark, you work for this company, this company, and this company. Where do you spend most of your time? Hmm. Is that because, Susan, are they asking that question because... It is a, are they questioning your credibility, your availability? Like, what, what's that about? Why is that so important? I think it's it's because I want them to talk to me. It's what, because I noticed that they're working hard and that they're working in multiple different companies. And, you know, sometimes if I can tell by looking at the person's profile that they kind of have a sense of humor, I'm like, I'm just curious. I'm wondering if you actually sleep. Interesting. I see. I see. So I, I want everybody to, to, I want to repeat what Susan said because I think it's a critical takeaway from this program today. So you said earlier in the show, Susan, you were talking about the importance of having a strategy. Now, I want to say to our listeners, the word strategy scares people. You know what I equate it to? It's like a business coach saying to an entrepreneur, you need to put a business plan together. It's like, oh my God, a business plan, a whole business, that feels like a lot of work. Strategy is a word that feels like a lot of work. But what Susan just said is, you don't have to be a great writer. You don't have to be fancy. Number one, you ask questions. But really what she's saying is, identify who the decision maker, who your target audience is, and ask questions that would be relevant to their needs, their interests, and their pain. Hey, guess what, everybody? There's your strategy. Identify a decision maker and figure out what questions are going to be most meaningful. That's a strategy, right? Yeah, that's a, a, a yeah, it's a strategy. And to be with that, it's like you want to have, like, you connect with the people that you connect with. You ask them great questions once they connect. And if they, then you want to take that conversation to hopefully generating, uh, you know, an appointment with them. And you want to have a, what I call a skeleton script to take them down that path and know when you're supposed to ask to meet. And that's part of your strategy. Wow, Susan, that's huge. I, I, and I want to really call that out, what Susan just talked about, because, hmm, you know, the old Kenny Rogers gambler song, know when to hold him and know when to fold him. I think 
I think, Susan, what I see in salespeople, and I want to I want to know your take on this, is I feel like a lot of salespeople start out asking questions, but then they get impatient, and then there's I don't know if you I don't know if you've ever heard me talk about Susan this this phenomenon called happy ears. <laughs> so happy ears is you do what Susan said, you ask a couple of preliminary questions. So let's say it's in my space in training, okay, as an example, right? Mm-hmm. So the question is. So what are the biggest challenges you're facing with retention and recruiting right now? Okay. And let's say the person responds, um, yeah, we're, 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 we're really having a, a problem attracting millennials or younger generation employees. Let's say that's the answer. Happy years would mean that I'm so happy I got a potential pain point to sell on that I immediately respond, oh, well, we help you with that. We do that. We're great at helping with that. But what you're supposed to do is continue to ask more questions to truly understand where the gaps and pains are. In happy years, is you're so happy you heard a pain center, you jump in and respond too quickly and start selling as opposed to asking more questions. And I see that a lot, Susan. Do you? Yes, absolutely. And that's it definitely goes against the grain of, of what I um, teach people in the messaging area because – you have to develop the relate. You don't walk into a networking event and and, and ask one question and then say, "Oh, so great, let's it's a perfect meet. analogy. Let's go meet. Perfect. Let's go. Like I think we can help each other. Let's meet. It's you don't do it that way. You find out about them. You find out about what their needs are because they may not be a good prospect for you or they may not be a, per, a prospective client for you. And so you have to asking good questions helps you both. Right. It, it saves you from meeting with someone that you shouldn't be meeting with. Yeah, there's a phrase I use, Susan, in sales training. It's called earn the right to sell by asking a question. And that is the intention there is don't start selling until you've collected all the necessary information you need to effectively start selling. Uh, Susan, I, I you just brought up networking, and I, and I want to build on that for a minute because mm-hmm. what has always fascinated me about people who network is if you go to a networking event – Virtually or in person, now that we're getting back to more in person, but virtually or in person, okay? Now think about this for a second. Why do people go to networking events? They go to potentially get referrals, build relationships, try to understand why, how they can get more business. That's what I think the mindset is of most people who go to networking events. And the reason why I say that, Susan, is because if I'm at a Chamber of Commerce networking event and there's a financial planner and an electrician, and a banker, and an insurance person. Okay, so let's use that. Those people are unlikely that they're going to that event going, you know what? I hope I meet a trainer today. I hope I meet a coach today. Most people are not thinking. They're thinking selfishly, God, I hope I get some leads out of this today. And so my point is, Susan, is that why don't we treat people we meet at a networking event like sales prospects. Because if we meet a sales prospect and they're not ready to buy in that moment, but if we think they're eventually ready to buy, we will follow up with that person down the road. At a networking event, if I meet you at a networking event and you don't have any referrals for me that day or immediately, I think most people just go, okay, well, you can't help me, so I'm done. But why don't, if we have a strong relationship from a networking event and we feel there's genuine interest in reciprocity, why don't we treat the networking people like sales prospects? Do you get what I'm saying? It's the truth. I agree. Because if you treat them like a prospect, 
you will ask them the questions that you would ask a prospect and it would help them understand how to refer you. Right. Because, and Susan, this speaks to, and we're going to talk, talk about this heading into our third segment, but this speaks to the need for instant gratification. And see, to me, when I go to a networking event, I'm trying to understand when I meet someone, I'm trying to understand if this person is genuinely interested in working with me and if I'm genuinely interested in working with them. Do I trust them? Do I think they're a value add as someone I would refer business to and that I could trust and that I could build a relationship with? And if they pass that initial phase, then I'm strategizing, okay, how am I going to stay in touch with this person? How am I going to regularly connect with this person? But I think too many people, Susan, in a networking situation, if they don't get that instant gratitude, they're done. Yeah. Move on to on to Cincinnati, as Bill Belichick says. Right. So, yeah, it's the truth. Okay, so when we come back for our next segment, we're going to continue talking about, we're going to go back to LinkedIn and to t- talk about how instant gratification gets in the way there. For Susan McConnell, I'm Mark Altman. We'll be back after the break. Okay, welcome back to I Communicate. I'm Mark Altman here with Susan McConnell and uh, host of the uh, Dangerous Conversations podcast. And Susan, before we get back into LinkedIn, why are they dangerous? Because they're dangerously good. Ha, ah, good, good. I feel like it's family <laughs> feuds, is a Good answer, good, good answer. answer. So um, you may dangerously learn something that you need to learn that day. So you and I, we, we, we use, you know, I, I call them courageous conversations, difficult conversations. So when you say dangerous conversations, are you referring, is this an assertiveness thing? Is this a provocative thing? Like, what, where, what are you inferring there? I think that I'm inferring that there's things out there that you don't know that you need to know, and it's a danger if you don't know them. And so you oh. need to come on. And so I bring on different people in different industries. I don't just come on every Tuesday at noon and talk about LinkedIn. I'll do a little LinkedIn tip. But I bring on different people that can help everybody in, in different fields. Is it marketing? I have sales trainers. I had uh, a tax specialist. I have another tax specialist that saved somebody $523 million. But I love that. If, if, if it's dangerous for you not to know it. Like, I love that. Yeah. So, Susan, when I think of, we were talking in the last segment about instant gratification. And I think we live in a society where we we need outcomes. We expect outcomes. And if we don't get the outcomes we seek, there's a lot of why bother resignation mindset, I call it. So you talked about a strategy. So my question for you is, what are realistic expectations people have if they're going to spend one hour on LinkedIn every week, if they're going to ask questions like you were alluding to earlier? What's the realistic expectations? Because... People want goals. People need goals. People should have smart goals. So how do I know if my quote-unquote strategy is working? You, you actually, you, one, you keep track of it. You, how many, I, I'm going to do my 100 connections. Out of those 100 connections, how many people actually connected with me? So first you know if your message, your intro message is right. And then secondly, once you get into that messaging area, how many people have you gotten down that path to say that they will meet with you or that they are not actually someone that you should meet with because there's a fine line of meeting with too many people that are not in your target. So you want to keep the metrics on how many you send, how many respond, and how many meetings you get out of that because once you get to that percentage, you know 
you can gauge how you have to take those tactics to get the meetings that you want. So let's talk metrics for a second. What is a reasonable percentage? If I send out 100 a week, what should I expect as a response? And then the second thing is, and then how many conversations is a, is a bare minimum expectation to know that my messaging is good and I'm capturing people's attention? Great. Uh, let's see. There's two ways to look at that. Uh, if it's a cold outreach, which a lot of people are very uncomfortable doing, uh, and, but it, it's what you do and it's what you have to do. I would say between a 25 and a 30% connection okay. percentage is a good cold. Okay. But then you and I talked about the strategy of warm connecting. Mm. There's a 90% connection acceptance. Re- and, and and again, just to remind our listeners, warm connecting was like commenting and liking people's posts, um, replying, and then connecting afterwards, right? Yes. Or or people that you're doing business with that you could connect with, right? Yeah. Actually, take that one. I, what I'll do is I like their um, comment, and then if they're if they're if they're in the post, I will actually just go and say, "Hey, I liked what you said in the at on Tony Robbins' post. I hope to connect." I won't, and then I'll ask them why they said what they said. Right, I, lo- I love that. Yeah, mm. but so you want to also have a strategy around warm connecting because you want that. You want to have a mix of percentages, especially if those people are in your target. So you, out of the warm percentage, I bet you'd probably be able to meet with at least fifty percent of those people. So let me ask you this: When you are, let's go back to the cold, the cold the outreach cold. first, then we'll come back to the warm. So. When you reach out to those hundred people, um, are you saying that you should be sending a message as well, right? Not just will you connect with me? Are you saying, or would you just send a would you connect with me? There's a couple different strategies around that. Thirty percent of the people will connect with you if you send nothing. You send a blank request. Thirty percent of the people will accept your connection request if you send a simple introduction. Nice to meet you. Yeah, whatever. simple, you know, I saw your profile and I hope to connect. So, not exactly that, but something similar. Yeah. And then there's the other 30% that need you to read their profile up, down, and sideways, and they still may not connect with you. So I say go to the, the at least the 60. And I think you do a little bit of testing. You can say be, maybe do 20 or 30 blank and then try, you know, 70 you know, brief message and then flip flop it and see how it works. It's it. it, I think it's different for different targets too. So Mm. I think you have to play around with that. That's what's that AB testing. And in, in either case with the cold and warm, when you're reaching out, if you're not hitting the numbers that you've alluded to is your first, without even looking at the messaging as, as a LinkedIn coach and as a sales coach, would your first instinct be that is it just, yeah, I, I want to see what you're writing because if they're not responding, it's most likely that the writing, whatever you're writing to them is not engaging them or capturing their attention. Is that where you would obviously go first? Yes, definitely. Oh, okay. Secondly, I would also say is what you're saying in your profile what they want to see when they come to you. Mm. So I go back to the profile. If your profile is not set up right, you're starting at the you're starting off on the wrong foot. So it's interesting how you tied that all together, Susan. So, you know, I had a I had a sales interaction with with a prospect a couple of weeks ago, and you know, I always ask the question in the beginning. You know, what what prompted you to respond to me, reply to my inquiry? You know, and I was so shocked. I don't know if I told you this, but the woman said to me, 
yeah, to be honest, I didn't go to your website. I didn't even go to your LinkedIn. She goes, I Googled you and I saw you on a podcast. And I listened to one of the segments of your podcast. And I love that you're edgy with communication. And that's why I reached back out to you. And I thought to myself, oh, for the love of God, like in a million years, I wouldn't have necessarily thought that. And the reason I tell that story is because when you think about what Susan just said, we're talking about proactive in the messaging that you send out to people. But what you don't necessarily know, for the 70% of the people who don't respond, your writing may have just been fine. But then when they Google you or look at your LinkedIn profile and aren't that excited or impressed by what you have to say, they choose not to respond. And that's the, that's the point Susan's been making from day one mm-hmm. is, you know, it's one thing to have outbound messaging being good. But if your profile isn't engaging and meaningful and, you know, tied into what your, your, your core decision maker audience is looking to see, then they're probably not going to respond. Correct. So it's, in, it's inbound marketing. So Susan, we talked about before about the profile. We talked about the banner picture and the photo. Is is the next most important thing you're about? I mean, is that a no brainer or no? It's not. Um, the next most important is that tagline. It's the line that sits right under your name. Because back in the day, you put sales development rep for Joe Blow Company. But in today's, when you want to make this sort of what I call uh, a landing page, that's what your profile is today. It's a landing page. Mm. It's your personal branding landing page. And if I go to your profile and I see you're a financial planner with 14 different degrees, okay, whatever. I may go down further. But if I get to your profile and it says, I help people make better conversations. I help business owners make if you tell people what you do right there in a clear sentence with numbers, if you can put them in there, it's one more thing. They go, oh, wow, he could solve my problem. I might want to read more. It's- so, so just to give our listeners example, I'm looking at Susan's LinkedIn profile. Mm-hmm. And she writes, showing B2B companies a custom lead generation system to easily and predictably attract and find qualified leads. So... There's a little bit more, but I just want to focus on that piece for a moment, okay? So if you're looking up Susan McConnell and you're like, what the heck does she do? How the heck can she help me? It's clear, right? Like, I I know exactly why I would want Susan McConnell in my life, right? Yeah, the goal is to say, okay, I'm attracted to the picture. I see her name. You saw the audio greeting, which is cool. And then you can also have a video behind your picture. Those are important as well. It's that top piece. Start there. Those are easy to do. And Susan, you know, this, you're speaking now to something that not not only am I incredibly passionate about, but it's probably my favorite thing when I speak in sales on differentiation. So think about it this way. Again, still sticking with the theme of first impressions, right? So now you're talking about a tagline. And look, if I'm looking for a financial advisor or an insurance person, there are thousands of people that do that, hundreds of thousands of people who do that. So when I come to you, if I just see financial advisor or insurance person, nothing stands out. You're not differentiated. So the question is, it's not only being clear of what problem you solve and how you help, but do you sound different than all of your peers in your competition? 
or are you just one in the same? And I think that differentiation piece is huge, right, Susan? Yeah. When you, uh, what did you say? Financial, what was the first one? Financial Financial advisor or insurance person. Insurance person. I've saved the lives of 15,000 people Mm. by doing this, this, and this. Like I can come up with a tagline in 30 seconds for people. Tell me who you are targeting, what you do for them. And then that's how you come up with your tagline, how you help people. You know, it's funny, Susan, sometimes in the, it's been a couple of years because of the pandemic, but when I would do networking training, one of the things I would joke with people about is, think about this, when you meet someone at a networking event, I would teach people that if the first thing you say is, you know, I, I'm, I'm John Smith, I'm a financial advisor, then right when you tell me that, I immediately start assuming a whole bunch of stuff. Oh, yeah. Right? Because now, whatever experiences I've had with financial advisors, I assume you're going to be salesy. I assume you're going to talk a lot, which may be completely untrue. But the reality is that when people come right out and say what they do, and that's their attention grabber verbally, then you you don't make me curious. You don't make me want to learn more. So the, So one of the exercises, Susan, I have people do is, I have them think of an alternate way to describe what they do. So, for example, a realtor, if you met a realtor at a networking event and said, so what do you do? And she would say, oh, I put roofs over people's head. Cool. Right? So that's what we're talking about. But I got to tell you, Susan, you'll appreciate this. The best answer I've ever heard as a substitute to what they do. Are we going to break? Okay. I will finish telling this story after after this uh, break. We'll be right back for I Communicate. Okay, welcome back to I Communicate. Here for our final segment, and joined by Susan McConnell, a sales expert, performance improvement uh, extraordinaire, and really uh, an incredible expertise around LinkedIn. So, as we were heading into the final break here, we were talking about differentiating. I was talking about how I train people in networking to describe what they do differently to generate curiosity and keep a conversation going. So, Susan, the best answer, and I can't even take credit for this because it wasn't mine. A guy called himself. He would introduce himself and say, hey, nice to meet you. He said, what do you do for a living? He said, oh, I'm a boxer. Now, you have to envision this guy. This guy couldn't have looked any further from a boxer. I mean, he had a build, thin Nothing like a boxer. So the idea is, really, you're a boxer? How long have you been boxing? And he goes, no, I'm just kidding. I work in a mortuary. <laughs> That's great. So, I love that. you know, he's in a funeral home boxing people in coffins. And I'm like, That's clever, right? That catches your attention. Funeral home directors, and, and they tend to have a great sense of humor, though. Yeah, it's true. Maybe we should learn from them. <laughs> but, but, you know, this brings us to, the, to where you were before, Susan, where you're talking about the tagline on a LinkedIn profile, look, everybody, the tagline, in my opinion, Susan, correct me if I'm wrong, it's got to check one of two boxes, maybe both, but certainly one of the two. It's either going to be like Susan's, which is really show the value proposition, what you bring to the table, how you'll help. It's got to be crystal clear. You know, not I'm a sales coach, right? She specifically says what she does. Or, and it's got to elicit some curiosity because if I see your tagline and I automatically start making some assumptions, I may not even look at any more of your profile because I think I already have all the answers, right? Right. But that's not, not always necessarily bad either because maybe I ruled you out and I shouldn't be talking to you anyway. So if you, I call that 
your proposition, your value proposition line. I don't even call it a tagline. Okay. That's the way I teach it. All right. So we've got first impressions has been the theme of this, this show today, right? We've got your professional photo. We've got a banner photo. We've got a value proposition line. And then what about the profile itself, Susan? Like if, if I, if I look at a profile and it's pretty bare bones, there's nothing there. Like what is needs immediate attention beyond that? What we just discussed. I like to speak to, there's two sections, the featured section, which a lot of people, when I bring them on as clients, don't even have. And then the about section, which back in the day was part of your resume experience. So you need to take the information in that resume experience and put it down in your experience section because that's where it really belongs if you think about it. Like what you did at that job should sit where in the experience section. What you need... Again, in this whole theme of it's your landing page, you want to have your about section set up so that you first build credibility in the first four lines. Because when you first go on someone's profile, the only thing you see in that about section is the first four lines. And it takes what is in the value prop at the top and kind of adds more detail to build credibility. I know you've coached over 20,000 people in over 15 years and had 80, 90% success. All those things are right there. And then you speak to problems. You speak to the problems of the people that you want to help. And if you say, I've noticed that I see this problem, this problem, this problem, and my company does this and this is how we help, and then you want to have a call to action at the bottom because not everybody's going to go up into your information section mm. and, 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 and go back up and look you to, if it's right there and they say, wow, this is a really interesting. I'm going to get in touch with them right now. They can copy paste and then they can get in touch with you. So it, it's, it's creating a little mini sales page or a little landing page. So what's interesting is that when you think of, you know, different ways you can use LinkedIn, right? My experience is Susan, that, when we as salespeople, entrepreneurs, business owners, sales teams, you name it, there's really typically two reasons we communicate with a prospect and a, or a customer. Number one, because we need something. Or number two, to reactively respond to a request. Like those are the two primary ways we interact with customers and prospects. And I have to tell you, one of the most fundamentally important things for salespeople to do is to create opportunities for interaction that aren't agenda-driven. Right. And so on LinkedIn, I want to go back to visibility. Right. And so when you create opportunities to add value to people through your own content, through sharing other people's content. Now, what I see happen, Susan, is if I'm reaching out to you, sending you a personal message. Hey, I was thinking of you. I saw this. I saw this article. I thought it would be really valuable to you when you're doing things like that. Then when I do reach out to you for a sales purpose, they won't see me coming because there's been enough interactions where I've created added value and shown that the only reason I'm reaching out to you isn't because I need something. You developed rapport. Right. You developed the right to ask. That's like that's that weird timing of knowing when that right time. And it's not always the same for everybody. So you can't say I'm going to do this, this, and this, and then they're going to meet with me. It's going to be different. So you have to build rapport, and you build rapport by asking good questions and providing material. That's, it, that's a great way to do it. Now, the last thing I want to bring up 
Susan, on the show today is we talked a little earlier about assertiveness. And my theory around LinkedIn specifically is that part of the problem on LinkedIn is people don't want to be a bother. They don't want to you know, annoy people. So let's say I looked at your connections and I saw a handful of people that I thought I would love for you to make an introduction to or referral to. I think there's a lot of people out there, Susan, and I'd love to have your take on this, where you might love what I do, you might see incredible value in what I offer, but loving what I do and pushing it on somebody else is different. Because if you as a person aren't comfortable reaching out to someone in your network to say, hey, this guy, Mark Altman, you really need to talk to him. He could add value to you, your team, your organization, whatever. And I think one of the biggest barriers in networking, Susan, is even if you're a fan of someone, I think a lot of people struggle to come off as pushy. And in the financial space, Susan, I see it all the time. In financial advisors, they're so happy they have these clients that they feel like if I call up a client and say, hey, do you know anybody else that may be able to benefit from my services, that they're going to frustrate people and think they're being too salesy. And I really believe that fear of coming across as aggressive or pushy as a salesperson is a huge barrier in networking for people. I, I agree. And and I think I had a coach about a year ago. Um, he's a, a also, he's he is a LinkedIn guru. And he puts it like this. It's, it's all in your attitude when you have, he calls it intention to serve. Mm. You have the intention to serve other people at the highest level. Well, one, you can't serve them unless they become your client. And two, in serving your clients, if someone else can help them, how do you, why wouldn't you make right, that why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you want to help people at the highest level? And if we know each other and you told me you wanted to meet somebody, I'd make that referral. I make so many referrals. I found three or four people jobs. I found two or three uh, email marketing clients for somebody this year. It's, that's the coolest thing is giving a referral. Yeah, I, I love that, Susan. Intention to serve, it's so great because like a lot of times when people in the workplace are not comfortable speaking up for what they want and need, the way I coach them is I say, you're depriving. If you have a good idea or a strategy or feedback and you're not speaking up, instead of, is it good, do I think they'll do it? Think of it this way, you're depriving your company and your team of your wealth of knowledge and wisdom. Absolutely. And that's exactly what you're talking about in a referral yeah. situation. If if their idea is going to help many others, say it. Because look at how many other people you get to help by having that idea. Yeah, that's fabulous. So, look, let's just recap in the couple minutes we have left. We talked about the word strategy. And that, you know, there's a lot of takeaways Susan's provided on the show today. But I, I just want to come back to strategy. Strategy is not something you have to sit down and spend eight hours creating. Strategy is not working harder, not smarter. Strategy is anytime you spend time, forget LinkedIn. If you're an entrepreneur or you're a salesperson, you should have a strategy for anything you do, right? Like Susan said, you're not throwing gum against a wall and hope it sticks. So the idea in LinkedIn is who's your audience, right? What questions do you want to ask them? How do you, how, what is your plan to engage that person in conversation? Like mm -hmm. it's, it's that simple, Susan, mm -hmm. the plan to engage someone in conversation. Right. 
I, I actually think about it as, as the strategy is your high level, and then you have your tactics. I'm going to connect with this many people. I'm going to do this much warm connecting. I'm going to try to go to influencer posts two or three times a week, and then I'm going to try to post myself. Like th That's your tactics, and then you watch your tactics, and then you say, is this strategy working? Do I need to change these things to make my strategy work? So, Susan, your LinkedIn e-course, if you could speak to why someone should take it, uh, what what the outcomes they should expect from it, and how to take it. Yes, absolutely. It's LinkedInProfileStopper.com. And what it is is... L-I Profile. L-I. Oh, yes. Sorry. I see, keep saying that wrong. L-I ProfileStopper.com. L-I Profile. They wouldn't let me take LinkedIn. I, apparently, I don't own Microsoft. What a shame. I know, right? So it's liprofilestopper.com, and what it is, it takes you from the top of your profile all the way down to the bottom, section or module by module with videos and also written content to help you change all of those sections and, and update your profile. And I also offer it with support because many times when I coach somebody and I send them home, they don't do their homework. Of course. And so that way you can do your homework, and then I have it with support once a week. I meet with the group of people for two reasons. One, we can all look at each other's profile and give feedback. And two, these people can all meet each other. I'm a huge networker. How much is the course? Three ninety-seven. Wow. So for $400, you're basically coaching them through the entire LinkedIn profile on how to rebuild it. And I charge people a lot more money to do it myself. Yeah, that's phenomenal. Um, Susan, thank you so much for joining the show today. I feel like you know, your expertise, and I, I know it sounds kind of generic, but I feel like so many people try to be the jack of all trades these days. And I feel like your expertise, I've learned an incredible amount from you in a short time. You've done wonders for my profile. And it's, you know, it's funny. It's the little things. It's, you know, like I said earlier in the show, we, you know, I talk all the time about shifting from a daunting to a doing mindset. And in LinkedIn, it's not that you have to spend hours and hours. It's just start small, start simple, pick off a few things every couple of weeks to improve on. And that's what you've taught me, Susan. It's like I keep, it keeps getting better, you know, because of your coaching and guidance. Yeah. And it's it's interesting. When I start, first started doing this, I was trying to figure out who I actually attract. And that's why I say it's LinkedIn for the reserved because not everybody has that oh my gosh, I have to go out there and get it, and knows how to do it, and they want someone to sort of ease them into it. All right, well, for Susan McConnell, Dangerous Conversations, and I'm Mark Altman for iCommunicate. We'll see you next time. Have a great day.